Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Well, good morning, guys. <laughs> I feel like we've had a, a full time together already. <laughs> uh, what a what a beautiful uh, beautiful morning, man. Moments like this, I'm like, just don't blow it, Andrew. <laughs> no, no, no. The Lord. Uh, I feel that I. You know, sometimes we move differently. It, it's it's one of those moments where. It's just so heavy uh, in such a good way. The, you ever notice, like, the presence of the Lord, it's heavy but liberating? Um, it's really amazing, and I just sense that. But I do feel to share the word uh, for, for a few minutes because we're going into a, uh, as many of you know, um, if you've been with us at all for the last few weeks, we're going into a, an amazing week for us, Evangelism Week, and we're uh, really, really excited. It is not too late to, uh, to sign up and join in. Uh, in fact, there is a schedule at the table, or you could see myself, Crystal, Caesar, um, you could see any one of us, but we're going to have an amazing week. We actually, as Johnny just mentioned, we have an amazing team here. Can we give it up for Every Heart Ministry that's here? And specifically, somewhere in there, I don't know if I see him, I know Bryce is somewhere. He just walked out. All right, well, he's coming back, uh, but he's the leader. But uh, I just encourage you to get to, to know them after service. Say hello to them. We're going to spend a lot of time with them, and it's going to be, uh, again, it's, it's going to be amazing. And what, what we're, we're doing is bigger than this week. It's really something the Lord's leading us into as, as a whole, as something um, that uh, is going to be a, a regular thing that we're doing corporately. We know that we do these things personally, but we're really building this in, evangelism on a corporate level. And I want to just take a few minutes to speak into evangelism one more time. I'm really excited uh, what, what some of the things the Lord's sharing here. I, I want to speak into this this divine union of intercession and evangelism. And I want us to see, I really want to lay before you some vision uh, for what I see God doing in this house. And I think it's, I know it is, it's so much bigger than just this personal body. It's something across this nation. It's really across the nations where there is, there's this holy joining together of intercession and evangelism. And many of you know, a couple of years ago, the Lord really just reoriented everything in our body to really put, put uh, to practice what we always longed in our heart, to be a community centered around the presence. And the prayer room is really central for that, to get people there. Uh, and there's so much that happens in that prayer room. But one of the things I see the Lord now doing is adding this other piece, which is evangelism. So we've got this corporate coming before the Lord, coming in, if you will. And then there's going to be this corporate going out. And what exactly that looks like from this week, we're still fleshing it out. But we'll take baby steps. We'll probably make changes along the way uh, as we're here. You know, we hear in part. But as we go, the Lord makes it clear and clear. But I know it's going to be a staple. And I know intercession uh, coupled with evangelism is key, I believe, to glo like global revival, to what Johnny said, to the Lord getting his reward, to the gospel of the kingdom going to the nations. And I think an appropriate way to actually see this, this link of prayer and missions is to call it a marriage. I think marriage is appropriate because marriage is a permanent union. Marriage is not something that's seasonal. We're not talking about a summer fling here. <laughs> Uh, we're talking, this is important. We didn't just pray for two years in the prayer room and say, well, that was a good season. Now we're moving on to something else. That's where there's a real trap and downfall. 
We're not moving past prayer room. We're actually going to continue to build that out. But what we are saying is we're building a, what I believe is a holy cadence, a heavenly rhythm that I see through the scriptures and history where we're teaching people how to come in before the Lord, minister, worship, and bless him, and then how to go out uh, now releasing what they've received in that place of encounter. So in the prayer room, we're receiving his heart, his wisdom, his strategy, his plans, his anointing, all those things. And then we go out and release these things. And I see God really uh, setting us up in such a divine way. And we'll see it here today. This, this agreement of intercession evangelism, it's not something uh, new. It's all throughout scripture. It's all throughout church history. Uh, there's one particular story of the Moravians. Has anyone heard of the Moravians that I absolutely love? Uh, here's, the, here's like the cliff notes in the 1700s. There was a count I just like that. I want to be a count. <laughs> count Zinzendorf. He, uh, he had a, a tremendous amount of wealth and he bought an estate and he winded up giving asylum to this uh, group of 300 Moravians. They were known as the Hidden Seed. They were being fiercely persecuted by the Catholic Church at this time. And these 300 came and lived on this estate with Count Zinzendorf and they just gave their hearts to the Lord. And there was one particular night, August 13th, 1727. They called it the Moravian Pentecost. They were pressing the God and Boom, Spirit of God came and moved mightily. And from this moment, they dedicated their lives to the blessed presence is what they called it. They wanted to create a space where they just gather around the presence of the Lord. And what they did is they broke up this 300 into groups of 24. And one hour a day, they each took a shift just worshiping, ministering to the Lord, like interceding. And this is what they did. And their motto was Leviticus 6.13. We're going to keep the fire burning on the altar. We're not going to let it go out day and night. So morning and night, they're just before the Lord. This, this prayer uh, movement went on for 100 years in this estate. 100 years, it never broke. And uh, you could look it up. It birthed arguably the greatest missions movement ever. Like there are men like William Carey, who's considered the father of modern day missions. Uh, Charles Wesley finds roots with the Moravian movement. Uh, also, it touches in the Jonathan Edwards. These are like heavy hitters. There's people we won't even know about till we get to heaven that were being sent out of this place where they were just gathering around the presence of the Lord. Amen? So this is like this picture. We're gathering morning and night here, just pressing into God, interceding, and then from this place, the Spirit of God is gripping hearts and sending out, sending out. And then we're coming back in and going back out. Uh, Andrew Murray said this. He said, The person who mobilizes the church to pray will make the largest contribution in history to world evangelization. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> If you don't believe it, look at Pentecost. The greatest missions movement ever was birthed where? In a prayer meeting. Uh, Exodus 3, when God comes to Moses at the burning bush, verses 8 and 9, he said, Moses, I heard the people's cry, and now I'm sending you to go to Pharaoh. I heard the cry, now I'm sending you out. There's a connection here of prayer intercession, uh, prayer evangelism. God could have just showed up on his own in a dream to Pharaoh. That's not what he did. From hearing the heart cry of the people, he raises up a deliverer to go and liberate his people. So as we're coming for the Lord and worshiping him, God is going to raise up people, send out. And then we just, this is like a daily rhythm that we're doing. Follow me? And one other thing I want to say is this is not something new, this, this marriage of prayer and evangelism. But what I, what I will say is that I think for a long time, at least recently, there has been um, the relationship between the two and how they are to function and the strategy of that has been largely reduced to an academic level. 
Like we, we've held to write scripture. You go into a church, you'll find that probably their core values promote prayer, promote evangelism. But if you actually talk about a real life strategy that is empowering people to bring the gospel, it's like, where is that? And I'm so stirred because I feel what the Lord is doing is really putting a strategy, like he's just sovereignly moving us with the prayer room. And now there's another step that we're gonna be going into with is the, the going out, right? Um, God has really given us some amazing uh, strategy. Even though we don't know everything, uh, the Lord gave a, an open vision to Crystal a few months ago. I just want to share because it's really going to mark what we're doing next week and weeks to come. Let me say this. How many know Jesus, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? Um, I'm not a fisherman, which is actually adds to this story because I don't catch a lot of fish. Because if you're going to catch fish, you're going to be skilled, Fishermen don't just go anywhere at any time with any bait. They know where to go, what times, how to do it. They read currents. They know all of those things. Jesus was saying you've got to be skilled when you go out, not like in worldly sense, but there is, there is something very holy about being trained up in how to actually minister and reach people. And, uh, and the Lord has given us such clear strategy, and I want to share this, uh, this vision. You guys listening? Really amazing. So a few months ago, Crystal, I don't know where she was, but she had this open vision where she saw, I know at very least, she saw me, I think Caesar, and Willie was the one that really stuck out because Willie uh, was dripping wet in sweat, like holding on his canes, and he was like, had sweat marks, and she could just tell that we had been laboring hard, and then where the scene, pan oh, and there was a ton of people around, which represents the congregation, and then when it panned out from that, what she saw was a board, a wall, and she saw a large map of Mastic Beach, and every road was blacked out with a Sharpie. And so the Lord had showed her that we actually went literally to every single door and brought the good news, right? But it gets even better than that. Uh, when she was sitting on this, the Lord then say, when you go to each house, so this is why we're doing door-to-door. -door. There's a lot of ways to evangelize. This is one of the things we're going to do. We're going to reach every single house. Yeah. I don't know how long it'll take. I'm not, it's not all happen this week. We're actually going to go to every single house, not because we've come up with this. This is what the Lord has told us to do. And when I know, when we do what the Lord says, all I've learned is you, you pray and then you just follow and good things happen. So he said, when you go, you're going to ask three questions. This makes it really simple. <laughs> the three questions we are told by the Lord to ask is first, do you have any needs, like physical needs? Like, do you need food? Do you have kids that you need things for your children? We're actually going to write these things down. The second thing is, do you have any physical, like, bodily needs now? In particular, do you need prayer for healing? Jesus said, when you go out, heal the sick and declare the kingdom of God is here. So we're actually going to ask, do you need any physical healing? And then we're going to pray for people, all right, just like we just saw before. And then the last thing is we're going to say, have you ever heard the good news, the gospel? And what the Lord actually said is if they deny the gospel, if they say, I don't want to hear it, he actually said, mark it off as you've been there and keep moving on, <laughs> which is also very biblical as we sat on that. So listen, uh, the Lord, has, there's a divine strategy here. This is where we're going to go out. And I believe, again, we're going to see amazing things happen. Yeah? Awesome. All right. So um, what I want to do just for a few minutes this morning is I want to speak into this marriage prayer evangelism. And there's a lot of scriptures we could go to. I'm going to go to one particular passage that captures it, I, in my opinion, the best. And that's in Matthew chapter 9. So if you turn there.
And specifically, we're going to look at verses 35 to 38. Again, we're really just going to stay right here this morning. And again, let's, let's, we're going to see vision for what the Lord's doing. We'll, we'll see this marriage between the two, but along the way, we're really going to capture the heart of evangelism as well. Uh, that's one of my, my hopes this morning, is that we would really feel the, the, the heart of God in this passage. Uh, we're not just, uh, I, I want us to have a right perspective of evangelism. When we go out, we're not going out to try to win debates. Uh, we're not going out to try to prove that we're in the inn and you're in the, and you're in the wrong. You need to get in the inn with us. Um, although we want every person to come into the Lord, this is not what we're doing. We're carrying the heart of Jesus, a heart of compassion. And we need to feel this. And, and as we go out, if we come with this, the Lord, the Lord moves powerfully when we carry his heart. Because he's not, he, it's, man, it's bigger than like an, uh, uh, just a Christian trying to do like their Christian duties. Uh, we talk about this a lot. People can feel that and sense that. Um, they they want to know that you really care. And I believe the Lord is, gives us this passage to act. It's an invitation to pray for his heart. He wants to give us his heart. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully, as best I can, help us to capture the heart of Jesus. And then verse 37, 38 is the key for us with prayer evangelism. So Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages... Okay, let's just stop for a moment. He's in Galilee. It says he went through all the cities and villages. It is estimated that there's around 200 cities and villages in Galilee with a possible population of 3 million. All right, so we just need to hear, like, what we're reading is profound. There's a man burning of the spirit that is literally just going one city, one village after another, and he's declaring the message that we've been declaring the last few weeks, the kingdom of God is here. So as Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, it says he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There it is again. It wasn't just a message of forgiveness. That's part of it. But he was proclaiming the reign of God is here now and is coming through this man. The good news of God's reign. And he was healing every disease and every affliction. So all cities and healing every disease and every affliction. All right, let's just stop. We got to feel this for a moment. 200 cities, possibly 3 million people. This is not a hyperbole. He really was going to all cities, healing all that came to him. Picture this for a moment. Jesus was beginning a ministry, a movement, a campaign unlike anything we've ever seen before with declaring again that the king and his kingdom is here. Everyone that came in contact with Jesus that came to him was changed. Not a single person who came to the Savior left unhealed or broken. Every single person that came was touched by the Lord and was set free. He fully gave himself to all that came to him in order that he would bring them into wholeness. You say, why? Of course he would. For all things were made by him, through him, and for him, including us, Jesus is coming to a people that were made for him. He's coming. you got to feel his heart here. I almost picture Jesus has been waiting for hundreds of years, seeing the dominion of Satan and the brokenness of his people, waiting for the Father to say, when is it time that I can go? Jesus manifests in the flesh, and now he has an ability, an opportunity to hand deliver the hope that has been long prophesied. He has an opportunity to hand deliver redemption and liberty. And he holds nothing back saying, here I am, and just setting people free as he prays for them and shares with them the good news. <laughs> That's really, really good news for us. <laughs> this is what it looks like to go, right? 
Um, so here, here's, here's something I was just sitting on is that I imagine that as Jesus is going, I imagine that he's probably being continually filled with like explosive joy <laughs> because he's seeing the fruitfulness of his campaign. He's seeing those that he loves. Like this is the opportunity he's been waiting for. Hand to hand, all things made for him. He's saying, now I set you free, right? Now, if you go throughout scripture, you'll often find that Jesus does burst forth with joy, even when his disciples are set and come back. But I want you to hear this. I say that because that's not exactly what we see in this particular text. Often he's erupting with joy, but something shifts in this text, and we have to shift with it. Because there's something different that Jesus is feeling, and I believe what he's feeling is going to begin to be the invitation for us to see our role in this. So as he's going around, you would expect explosive joy, but look at verse 36. Just imagine this for a moment. One village after another, then it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were weary and worn out, if you will, like sheep without a shepherd. So here's the picture. I don't know how many villages and cities he's gone through at this time, but I know everywhere he goes, he's giving himself fully. And I just imagine this moment, it's almost this divine pause where he stops and he now he looks out at the crowds and he's got his disciples with him and he's about to bring them into this conversation. But first, he doesn't say anything. He looks at the crowds and it says that his heart is overcome with compassion. The compassion of the Lord is not a cool feeling of pity like I feel for you, man. <laughs> This is actually compassion biblically. It's a crazy word in the Greek, splagidznomai. Just sounds intense. It's, it's in the innermost being of one's belly. It is this deep groan. It's actually a painful yearning that's melded with passion. It's to be wounded by love, and that love actually draws you to move closer to your object of affection. So he's seeing these people and he looks at them and he's feeling this painful yearning. He's wounded by love, wanting to draw near to them. We've got to just feel this for a moment. When he looks at the, the crowds, he, he's, he's overwhelmed with this, this painful groan and ache, this deep love that wants to move towards him. Why? Because he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. What he sees are people that are lost. He sees people that are hopeless. He sees people that are shuffling aimlessly through life, having no sense of direction. He sees the lame. He sees the works of the enemy over their lives. He sees many demonized. And when he looks upon their lives, guys, hear me, he is not disgusted by their lives. He is not frustrated by their weaknesses. And he's not overcome by the despair of their need. He's not overwhelmed by it. No, but when he looks at them, his heart begins to break, saying these people just need a shepherd. They need someone to lead them. They're blinded. They don't know the truth. Oh, that the Lord would purge my own heart of the judgmental spirit that often wants to rise up and forget that I was in that position when the shepherd came and found me, that I was lost. We need eyes to see that. It's really easy to say, well, that's, wow, that's really grievous. No, if Jesus was there, his heart was breaking, saying they're sheep without a shepherd. They don't know which way to go. He wasn't saying, oh, they need to get their act together and you should know better. No, actually, the, the Lord's heart was saying, these are, these are beings that were meant to be my beloved sons and daughters. They're real people with real names, with real stories of pain, and they're waiting to be liberated by the message of love. They just don't know it. And even if they, re even if they respond with aggressiveness, that only shows that much more how desperate they are for the love of God. 
this, this is what he's seeing in the crowds. But here's, I think, what's really, really important for, for us this morning, even more than that, is adopting his heart. But I believe the ache of Jesus' heart was not simply because of the need that he saw, but I believe there's a moment here, and it really comes forth in the next two verses, where Jesus is also aching for these people because he's aware that his time is limited. In other words, he steps back, he sees the crowds, he sees the real need, and it's like he's grappling with his own humanity because he really came in flesh and blood, and he knows his bodily presence is not going to be on the earth that much longer. And yet he's seeing such a need, and his heart is so wanting to move towards them, but he knows, I'm only going to be here for three years, and then I'm going to send to the Father. And the question I really think he's asking is, who will carry my heart? Who, who, will, who will take my heart full of compassion? Who will see the way I see? Who will be willing to go for me, carrying, what I, carrying my burden to the lost? Because I believe the heart of God still yearns to reach all and heal all, like we just read in verse 35. But he's saying, I'm not on the earth anymore. He's still very much present by the Spirit of God, but it's, the, it's us now, the church. And there's a part where I just wonder if God's, Jesus' heart is so overcome by this moment because of the need and knowing I'm not going to be here. And he's saying, guys, I want, I want to give you my heart. I want to invite you into the bigger story. I want you to lose living for your own life and for God's assignment. You'd be filled with his compassion. In fact, I wonder, I wonder when Jesus saw the crowds, I, I just, this is my only thing, I wonder when Jesus saw the crowds, I know that he was seeing little crowds there, but I wonder, uh, we know that his heart was not for just a few crowds in Palestine. We know his heart's for the nations. We were just talking about that. And I just wonder if there was a moment where Jesus, seeing the crowds, did that one crowd, did that vision become a bigger moment than the moment itself? Like by seeing the need there, is Jesus brought into awareness that he knows everyone that will come after this. Like by seeing the crowds, it's not just seeing those there, but Jesus seeing every unborn person that's still to come, wondering who will go for me. Seeing every Muslim, seeing every Hindu, seeing every Buddhist, seeing every murderer, seeing every wealthy businessman and woman, seeing every transgender, every homosexual, seeing every single person. In a moment, it's this, I just feel like there's this really holy big moment when he stops sees the crowds, and his heart is aching. And I wonder if it's seeing everyone that is to come saying, who will take my message to them? And from this place, I see Jesus inviting us into the story now. <laughs> so let's look at verse 37 and 38. You guys tracking with me? Jesus' heart overcome with compassion for, his, for, for the sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37 is an invitation now to us. How is he doing it? He opened, he's opening his heart and saying, come, come into this. And verse 37 says, then he said to his disciples, all right, stop. Just get this scene. Imagine what's behind them. People liberated, set free, but they're still sown before him. He's looking, his heart, I don't, I don't know if he's physically showing it. We know Jesus cried many times. I don't know if you're feeling like the weight of this. And then he brings his disciples over and this is what he says to them. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. <laughs> there it is. Looking out, you see Jesus saying, the harvest is plentiful, guys. The issue is there's a labor shortage. <laughs> the harvest is plentiful, he says. So the issue is not with the harvest. The issue is with the laborers. It's really important because I believe God wants us to have a right perspective on the harvest right now. 
The harvest is plentiful means that it's ripe. <laughs> you guys follow me? Harvest is plentiful means that the harvest is ripe. Means we, do you know that we live in a, a plentiful harvest hour right now? We live in a ripe harvest hour right now. And I think it's really easy to look around at things going on in life and declare the reason why we're not seeing things that we saw in Jesus' day, there's something wrong with the harvest. Uh, but there's not. Jesus said it's a labor shortage. And if we would have the right perspective, I think it would fuel our hearts with passion to know the harvest is just waiting to be plucked. That's not saying there's not going to be resistance and rejection, all those things in crisis, but there is just like glory being waiting to be had for a people that rise up and go out. Well, actually, what I see scripturally is when there's a right response to a ripe moment. When there's a right response to a ripe moment, this is where you get revival, awakening, outpourings. And I feel, I feel like we're so primed for that. Rather than saying, man, we're just going to kind of wait this thing out, that's so counter what I see the scripture saying. Actually, Jesus saying the harvest is plentiful right now. Like if we would give a right response to the moment, there is revival that's meant to be happening right now. You say, what, what, is a, what is a ripe harvest? What does a plentiful harvest look like? I believe it's verse 35 and 36 that we just read. <laughs> Jesus going into all cities and healing every disease and every affliction. Amen. Do you notice the all and every? That's a ripe harvest. I think all and every means the Spirit of God is informing us to not think small or exclusive. All and every means every single person, everything. <laughs> Jesus wants us to go to every single person. His heart is for all and for every. That's the, that's the kingdom Jesus brings, the all and every heart. So whenever we come up to someone and think, man, this situation's too far gone, think all and every. <laughs> the, bl the blood of Jesus paid for every single thing. Jesus' heart, he's ready to welcome anyone who hears and responds. They're welcomed in. Jesus' heart is just as much for the crucified thief on the cross uh, as it is for a holy scribe. <laughs> His heart is just as much for a prostitute as it is for a worshiping, adoring follower of, of him. His heart is for every single one. So now look at verse 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a labor shortage, but it's not an issue with the harvest, guys. It is ripe season. And here's where we reach this climax, verse 38. Look at the response. Oh, hear this. You talk about a right response to a ripe moment, Jesus gives us it. In response to a sheep with no shepherd and a harvest that's plentiful but no one's going out, he says, therefore, pray earnestly. <laughs> really? <laughs> what else, Lord? He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What is the answer of the day? This is, guys, this is a prescription to global revival. <laughs> it is a people who gather regularly to pray to the Lord of the hearts, to pray to God, to send out labors. Oh, we're going to see what's happening here. We're talking about a prayer that is going to arrest the, the hearts of individuals where they're going to be compelled by the Spirit of the Lord to go out. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. This is the strategy of heaven. Do you see the linking of prayer and evangelism here? Pray, and then laborers are sent out. And not only will other people be sent out, but we're going to get caught up in this. For if you keep reading in chapter 10, the very ones that are called to pray are then sent out to do this very thing. So we're, so we're praying for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, and he's going to, 
he's going to do this. This is the strategy of heaven. Uh, I don't know about you, but I would, if I'm really honest, I would like there to be another strategy. <laughs> uh, I would. It's like, really? That's it? Like, I want, what, what else, God? I mean, marketing, what else do we need to do? And I'm not against all those things, but we can do all of those things. But if, if the laborer is light, it's because prayer is light. And no matter how much we do any of those things, if there is not a people that are regularly coming together, praying to the Lord of the harvest, saying, God, send out laborers. God, disrupt our convenience. God, disrupt our comfortability. God, give us your heart. As we pray that, the Spirit of the Lord begins to manifest upon lives and begins to launch them in, saying, I don't know why I have this burden, but here I am. Send me. This, this, this is what we're asking. This is God's strategy. Listen, if there was another strategy, Jesus would have said it. <laughs> Right here, if there was a more effective way to reach the harvest, Jesus would have put it here. He's not trying to waste our time. He's actually giving us what is most effective. The problem is we, I have become too clever sometimes. I've become too wise with too many strategies. The Lord said, would you humble yourself and trust in my word? Like, I want you to know that we are not wasting our time when we gather morning and night to pray before the Lord. Because I think what's happened, 1 John 5 14, 15 says, when we pray according to the will of God, we have the utmost confidence that he's going to do the very thing we've asked for. Why? Because what we're praying didn't start with us, it started with God. All we're doing is praying back his heart to him. Which means when we're praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, guys, we're praying to this Jesus whose heart was broken with compassion over the shepherdless sheep. You think he's just going to stand there and be indifferent? We start praying this, he starts, it's tugging on the heart of God. It's tugging on the resources of heaven. Now, maybe one, maybe one of your questions of resistance as mine is, is, I don't need to pray. He's the Lord of the harvest. If God wants to do it, he'll do it. He's sovereign. He is sovereign. But in his sovereign design, he waits to be asked. Don't ask me why God decides in his wisdom to actually work with his creation like this, but he does. And it's all throughout scripture. When God wants to do something, very rarely do you see him just do it. He begins to look for someone on the earth to start to whisper his plans of what he's doing and look for a forerunner to blaze the path. He's always looking for individuals who say, will you carry my heart? Will you run with me in this? Like Jesus is not just giving us a polite suggestion so that we feel involved. He's really looking to the church, guys. He's really looking to the body saying, I need you to ask. I really want you to ask. And if you do, the Father is most definitely going to send out laborers into the harvest. Another thing is you may say, who am I? <laughs> who am I to pray? I mean, what, what are my prayers going to do? So it's really not important for me to pray this. No, no, no. Let, let me invite you into something. Revelation 8, there's a picture of, it's this imagery of these prayers being collected in a bowl, in a censer. Uh, they're a sweet incense, and they come before the throne room of God. And when God smells the incense, the prayers of the saints, it says he releases an angel of justice onto the earth. So something about the prayer of the saints coming up before the Father is deeply connected to the Father's work on the earth. But to encourage you even more, do you know what prayers are being collected? doesn't tell us. It just says the prayers of the saints. <laughs> Meaning, every single prayer of yours is being collected. Every single prayer is moving the heart of God. Not just your long prayers, but your short prayers. Not just the prayers where we feel really anointed, but the prayers where we feel really dry. Not just your prayers where you have hours before God, but the prayers we have four kids coming into the car and all you can say is, God, do something in this city <laughs> and in my life. <laughs> but all it says is the prayers are being collected. He didn't say, ah, I don't like that one, I don't like that one. Every single prayer is coming up before God. Every single prayer about God 
Do you know, I, build, I think there's a, man, I'll just say, I think there's like a little, I'm sure there's many. I feel like there's a bowl for revival in Mastic Beach. <laughs> and then, man, we just keep putting it in, putting it in, putting it in, and something is spilling out. There's, I believe there's going to be spill out next week. But, but, we, but we honor, man, we honor those who have gone before us, Pastor Joe, so many in this community, Jeannie. There's so many in this body and people I'll never know until we get into heaven. You find out they, man, they, they were willing to embrace a season of purely sowing. They said, I'll give my life to sowing and we could come and, and we could reap. And we're going to do the same thing. We're going to reap many things and then we're going to sow for the next generation. It's a generational mindset. But our prayers really matter. And not only is God collecting every single prayer, but he says he's collecting the prayers of the saints. Doesn't say the pastors. <laughs> Doesn't say those who really know the word of God. That's awesome. We should know the word of God. But the saints. Guys, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. <laughs> he's collecting every single one of our prayers. Every prayer of every person is being collected by God. All right, come back into verse uh, 37. One other thing I want to share on prayer, and then I want to share what we're praying for. Notice the nature of this prayer. He says, therefore, pray earnestly. So, er do you guys see that? May have a different word in yours. Verse 37 says, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly. That means, not occasionally, we're not called to pray from time to time that we would start to have kind of a burden for the lost here. To pray urgently means to beseech. Actually, it means many times in scripture to beg, to implore. It, is, it has intensity in it. It's consistent. It has a cry of desperation. To give you an example of one scripture where it uses the same word, there is a leper who comes before Jesus in Luke 5. And in verse 12, it says, when the leper sees Jesus, he falls on his face and begs Jesus that saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Do you know what that word beg right there is? The same word here for earnestly. You know why? You know why the leper came like that in that des desperation? Because he knew his condition and he knew if Jesus didn't touch him, he would remain in that condition. That is the type of desperation Jesus is inviting. And if you feel like, well, how do I get that? It's not something manufactured. It's receiving his heart of compassion that begins to grip us more and more into it. All right, here's, here's the key, though. Here's the climax right here. Mark, if you wouldn't mind uh, throwing something on. Verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And what are we praying for him to do? Someone shout it out. Send out laborers into his harvest. Now, a few years ago, I remember Johnny gave a message. I think the whole thing was on this. And... Uh, uh, you can go back on the podcast. I think it's on there uh, because it was so, so moving. So I'm just going to give you a touch on what's being said here. But this is so incredible. For we're not just being told to pray earnestly. We're being told to pray earnestly to send out laborers. And when we read that, like me, you may walk away saying, okay, so we're praying God to just send. But sending does not quite capture the intensity of what's actually happening here and the hope of what's going to happen when we pray this prayer. For sending has a bit of a passive tone to it. There's a relative ease, like I can send money and greetings. We can send money to one another. But that's actually not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is ekbalo. Let me, let me show you what this means. Ekbalo means to forcibly expel, to thrust out violently, Amen. to fling. It is used 34 times in the New Testament, and every time it's used, it carries this notion of profound forcefulness. 
You want to hear, listen to these examples. When Peter, uh, when Paul was thrown into prison in Acts 16, verse, uh, I think it's like verse 37, he's before the, the leaders uh, of uh, Philippi, him and Silas were thrown in the jail, and he says, I was thrown into jail against what he wanted to do. I was thrown in jail, condemned and treated wrongfully. That word thrown into jail is ekbalo. He's saying, I was ekbaloed into jail. Stay with me here. Because when you get ekbaloed, you have to go. <laughs> Acts, Acts 7, 58, Steve, Stephen's about to be stoned. It says they cast him out of the city and then stoned him. Why? What does that mean? When he was cast out of the city, he was ekbaloed out of the city. They forcefully grabbed him, threw him out of the city, and then stoned him. John 2.15, Jesus comes into the, to the temple, and it says he drove out the money changers. What did he do? He ekbaloed the money changers. He didn't just politely ask them to go. He forcefully compelled them to have to leave. And probably the place you see it in its greatest form, like its power, is when Jesus would come out to people demonically possessed and he would cast out demons. It's ekbalod. He would cast out demons and they would have to leave. Listen, why is this so amazing? Because what this tells me, when I look at these scriptures, every one of those scriptures I just shared, before the person was ekbalod, that's a place that they didn't necessarily feel a passion to go to. <laughs> Paul didn't want to go to prison. Stephen didn't want to be cast out of the city, be stoned. Demons don't want to leave bodies. But when they are ekbalod, they have to go. So what this is saying is what we're not just praying, God, would you send someone here and there? We're saying, Lord, ekbalo your people. Let the Spirit of God come upon our hearts. Lord, that you put a fire in our hearts, God. I don't know about you, but this is the antidote to my own heart, that it gets so comfortable to, to, we're living in the age of comfortability that I get numbed to the need of people and to God's desire. And I feel the antidote is for people to come together and say, Lord, follow your people, God. Lord, let the Spirit of God come upon people. When we pray this prayer, it moves upon hearts and it begins to lead us past our fear. Like, well, this is not a close, man, you don't have to force your way over fear. We're asking the Spirit of God to come and touch hearts that actually leads us past our fear. It will disrupt our convenience. It will disrupt our, my stubborn heart. <laughs> this is the prayer. The Spirit of the Lord coming so mightily on people's lives that His divine will is infused in ours and His will is becoming our will. We're, we're not praying polite prayers. We're not pr praying restrained prayers. We're actually praying for the Spirit of God to hurl people into the mission field. <laughs> and what's so amazing is that God, God says, if you do this, I'm going to back this thing up. Meaning there are going to be individuals. Here's the, here's, the pro, here's the pattern I see. God's going to do this in our hearts. The Lord says, whom, whom can I send? The Lord says, who will carry my heart? Who, who will bring my compassion? Intercessors pick up that cry and start saying, send forth labors, send forth labors, send forth labors. And the moment that cry starts going up, the spirit of Jesus starts rushing upon hearts and where there was no burden, where there was no concern, where they were disengaged with the cause of God, just fixated on their own things, guilty. All of a sudden, where there wasn't a burden, there is a burden. All of a sudden, where there wasn't a concern, there is a concern. And all of a sudden, those who felt like, man, really indifferent to the heart of God, all of a sudden, now they're saying, here am I, send me. Hear my, send me. The answer to this prayer is the Spirit of God begins to touch our dormant passion for the lost and whew, begins to breathe something. Do you know that even Jesus was ekbalod? Do you know that? <laughs> Don't forget that when Jesus came, 
He laid aside pulling from his divine rights and power and really lived as a man dependent on the spirit. And when Jesus was getting ready to go into the wilderness, I imagine that as a man, because our hope is found that he went into that wilderness as a man and really came the true Israel and the true Adam. And I imagine that when he went into that wilderness, he probably wasn't relishing the thought of facing high temptation with such high stakes in a place of physical depletion for he was fasting for 40 days. Yet Mark 1.12 says the Spirit of the Lord drove him into the wilderness. It ekbalowed him into the wilderness. And guess what? He went and he overcame and triumphed. <laughs> I don't know how many will, uh, exactly how this prayer will touch lives. All I know is one day we'll be in heaven and this prayer that touched lives, we're going to see such fruit from it. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't you stand with me? I want to I pray into this.